I was going to preach through verse 11 last week, and I was sitting beside Sylvester at uh, the wedding, and he got so excited about verses 8 through 11, and I thought, well, maybe I should give a little more attention to these uh, these verses, and and I think that was a wise decision. That being said, let's go to the Lord. Father, I ask that you would bless the reading of your word and the proclamation of it. Father, help us to understand your law. Your law is good, righteous, and holy. And your people kick it to the side so often and so easily. Help us, God, not to do that, but rather honor you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you know that in the kingdom of Holland, the Ten Commandments is the law of the kingdom? All ten of the commandments are expected to be obeyed in the kingdom of Holland. It is unlawful to worship any god other than the god of the Bible in Holland. It is unlawful to take the the Lord's name in vain. It is required that everyone, I'm sorry, I left one out. It is unlawful to make any picture or image of God in the kingdom of Holland. It is required that everyone keep the Sabbath day. It is required that everyone honor their father and their mother. It is unlawful to commit murder, to commit adultery, to steal, to lie, or to envy after that which is not yours in the kingdom of Holland. It's very different here in America. Can you imagine trying to bring charges against anyone or everyone who commits adultery here in America? Or arresting someone who worships a God other than the God of the Bible? Can you imagine trying to use the police force to enforce the Sabbath day? Now, just as an aside, when I was in Aiken, South Carolina, as the associate pastor, I was always the first person in church uh, before anybody else, usually before daybreak. And one Sunday morning, I was teaching a, sun, a children's Sunday school class, and I came up with an idea for a craft for them to do on Saturday night. So I went to the 24-hour Walmart to buy materials uh, that Sunday morning. And they would not allow me to buy what I was trying to buy. In fact, I was indignant that they were not allowing me to buy the yarn and things like that that I needed until they told me that no one could buy non-necessities until after 12 noon because it was the county's attempt to honor the Sabbath day. Uh, I had been living there nearly nine years, and I had no clue. I had no no uh, reason to go and try and buy something um, early in the morning on on uh, Sunday morning. Now back to the kingdom of Holland, because there is a Sabbath commandment, and that commandment is the law of the land. The king really exerts himself in worshiping God on Sunday mornings. 
Therefore, it is well understood by all the subjects of the kingdom that the king is allowed an uninterrupted nap each Sunday afternoon. In fact, all the citizens of the kingdom of Holland are encouraged to rest as well. In the kingdom of Holland, we also go out to dinner on Friday nights, all the subjects of the kingdom. Now, before I go any further, I hope you understand that the kingdom of Holland I am speaking of is not located across the Atlantic Ocean, but is located at 2205 Colwood Lane in Dover, Florida. Even though the Ten Commandments are not recognized as as the law of the land in America or in the Netherlands, in my home, in the Holland home, it is recognized as law. We believe King David, uh, or we believe as King David said so many years ago in Psalm 19, that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. We also believe in the Holland household. As Paul said in Romans chapter 7, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. We believe what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You know, I was thinking about this um, as I was preparing this sermon. If I had to do it over again, when I had small children in our home, I, I would have posted the Ten Commandments prominently where the children could see them, where we could refer to them uh, easily and remind the children, teach them daily about the importance of each of God's commandments. I would commend to all our families that the Ten Commandments be the law of the land in your own many kingdom and that all the citizens of your family state be held to its standards. It is surprising that the law of God is so misunderstood and maligned in Christian circles. Why is that? Why is it that the Ten Commandments are not more prominent in in informing Christians how they should live? Well, first of all, there have been so many attempts at misusing the law that Christians have, been, have become distrustful of the law. And this was the case in Ephesus. So you see 
in verses 6 and 7, peeking back to uh, last week's sermon, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. And so, there's this these uh, teachers, these elders in Ephesus wanted to be teachers of the law. But Paul says they didn't understand the law and they were teaching the people a distorted view of the law so that the congregation was wandering away from sound doctrine. These elders here who Paul called in, a, in Acts chapter 20 wolves were... Their pet issue was the law. They were teaching the Ten Commandments, but they were teaching them very improperly. They were likely teaching that you could be saved by obeying the law. But it's frankly impossible to tell exactly what they were teaching uh, from this passage alone. And so there are many people misusing the law, taking teaching the law, and leading people astray. A second misuse of the law is to say that the law is only for the Old Testament. But we live in the New Testament. There are passages like Romans chapter 10, verse 4 that says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This does not mean that Christ has put an end to the law so that it no longer applies to believers. We just read where Jesus said... In Matthew chapter uh, 5, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. He says not a jot or a tittle, not a jot or a dot will, will pass away from the law, he says. So Jesus is not bringing an end to the law. Rather, Romans chapter 10 verse 4 says that Christ has put an end to the law for righteousness. In other words, we look to Christ for our righteousness rather than looking to the law. Christ fulfilled the law perfectly. He obeyed the law in His actions, in His words, in His thoughts, in His desires, in everything. He obeyed the law perfectly. He never sinned. He never disobeyed. He obeyed the law in every respect. And so when we flee to Him and place our trust in Him, He gives us the result of His perfect obedience. He gives us His righteousness. If you are here this morning and you are relying on your own goodness, if you are relying on any form of righteousness, outside of Jesus Christ, if you were relying on your own good works, you have no righteousness. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The only righteousness that God will approve of, the only righteousness that God will accept is perfect righteousness. None of us have it. Our Lord Jesus has it. He is perfectly righteous. We flee to Him. We rest upon Him. His righteousness is given to us. 
God looks upon you if you are in Christ as if you have perfectly obeyed the Ten Commandments in your every word, in your every deed, in your every thought, in your every desire. Because Christ obeyed the law in your place. We all know our imperfection and our sins. But Christ has given us His perfection and His righteousness. All that being said, what is the proper way to view the law? If there are people out there teaching bad, erroneous, deceptive views of the law, what is the right way? Well, first, the, the first use of the law that that um, that we have is the law the law's first use the theologians tell us is that it teaches us that we are sinners paul says in romans chapter 3 verses 19 and 20 now we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to god for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The Jews were trying to be justified by their obedience. There are people who are trying to be justified before God by their goodness, by their good intentions, by the good things they do for the poor and the weak and the helpless. And they think that because they are doing these good things, that that will make them righteous before God. And God says no. He says that the law teaches us that we are sinners. Teaches us that we have no righteousness. The law of God is intended to teach us just how far short we fall of God's righteousness. We need perfect righteousness to stand in God's presence but as God's perfect righteousness, as we measure ourselves against God's perfect righteousness, what we find out is not that we're close. We find out how deficient we really are. We find out just how sinful we really are. We find out just how much we need a righteousness that doesn't come from us. God intends that the law would crush the self-righteousness of sinful human beings. Martin Luther wrote that the law shows sinners their sin so that by the recognition of sin, they may be humbled, frightened, and worn down that we might long for grace that is only found in Jesus Christ. Have you been crushed by the law? Jimbo, when he goes out and does evangelism, one of the things he'll do is uh, he'll ask people if they obey the Ten Commandments because people like to say that they are obeying the Ten Commandments to get into heaven. That's a religious thing to do. And then Jimbo will walk them through the Ten Commandments and realize that they've broken all ten of them. And uh, oftentimes they're quite humbled by that. And then they are ready to listen to the gospel. Because prior to that, they are full of pride. 
full of self-righteousness and they think that they are the ones doing God a favor by uh, making a, a confession of faith in Him rather than realizing that were they to do bring all their efforts and all their time into trying to obey God enough that they would still fall short, that it's impossible for them to be doing the favor that our salvation in Christ is God giving us His remarkable favor, giving us the free gift of Jesus' righteousness that we um, cannot conjure up ourselves. So this use of the law, the first use of the law, is to lead us to Christ. Have you been crushed by the law? Or do you think that you are God's um, God's gift to Him? Do you know how utterly destitute you are of any real righteousness apart from Jesus Christ? So that's the first use of the law. The third use of the law is intended for Christians to teach us God's will for our lives. You know, even as Christians, we are easily led astray from what God would have us do in our lives. We're easily led astray because of self-concern and because of self-interest. But the law of God leads us to live God-centered lives. It teaches us how to love God and how to love our neighbor. It's very applicable to our lives. It's very applicable to our families. It is the path that we are to walk. It is the path that is enlightened by God's Word. And so, first use of the law teaches that we're sinners. Third use of the law to help us as Christians Lead a godly life. Teach us which direction we should go. And I skipped over the second use of the law. Because the second use of the law is what Paul has in mind here in 1 Timothy. This is also called the civil use of the law. The law of God is intended to restrain sin in society. Even though our society does not recognize God's law, every society recognizes the need for law. Without law, everyday public life would be impossible. A lawless society would be unlivable. And so what society does, because we are God's creatures, eternities in our hearts, even though we are repressing the knowledge of God, we reach out and we grab hold of some of God's laws and we bring it into our society in order that we might live a livable life. Every society needs some type of foundation, law foundation. And they try try as they might, they can't get away from the fact that there is a lawgiver. Therefore, there are laws that govern life. Society would be un, unlivable without the law. What if everybody ignored the parking laws? Simple little parking laws. What if people only parked in the fire lane in front of the store 
Everybody trying to park in the fire lane. You see how impossible it would be? How disorderly life would be? You couldn't get in and out of the grocery store. What if everybody ignored stop signs? What if everybody ignored uh, stoplights, red lights? Life would be unlivable. And apparently these false elders in, in Ephesus were teaching an application of the law that allowed people to live in society in a way that was different from the way that they were living in the church. In other words, they were hypocrites. Jesus spoke about uh, similar teachers of the law in Matthew chapter 23 when he condemned the Pharisees. You, you uh, teach people about the law and then you live like hypocrites, he says. We know that Paul has in mind the Ten Commandments because at the end of verse 9, he, lives, I mean, he lists uh, the, fi- the fifth through the ninth commandment. So uh, follow along with me. At the end of verse 9, he starts with the fifth commandment. For those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So he's loosely listing the, the Ten Commandments from commandment number five through commandment number nine. He adds in applications of those laws. So we know that he's talking here about the Ten Commandments. We need the Ten Commandments to restrain sin in our society. We need the Ten Commandments in our society to uh, act as a basis for how we can simply live in society. Without the law of God, society would be unlivable. But now, the postmodern mind, the culture in which we live, they try and get away from this objective truth, this objective or universal truth. All that is so-called, all that is called truth for the postmodern uh, mind is pure subjectivism. Pluralism is the offspring of this subjectivism or this postmodernism. It affirms the independent validity of every faith and every ideology. But if you say that one faith or one ideology is better than another, except for secularism, you are labeled as arrogant and inhuman. And this mindset is destroying people's lives. It is bringing a dark shadow over Western society. It is eroding people's foundation for which they live. And just like we were talking about with the children, without a foundation, with a shifting foundation, the house will come down with a great crash. We only have to look at the, society, uh, at the uh, suicide rates in our society. Look at the, um, the uh, mental instability in our society. Um, without the firm foundation of God's Word, 
life becomes much more shaky, less livable, less happy. And so this mindset, this attempt to get away from law, to get away from truth, has devastating effects. It is leading our culture further and further from the sound doctrine that promotes the gospel of the glory of our blessed God. Verse 11. Uh, He says, well, starting with verse 10, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Let me ask you, as I'm talking about postmodernism, tempting to say in your heart, yeah, go get them, Pastor Wes. But are you living in accordance with the law of God? We could go down through commandments number uh, 5 through 9. Children, are you, are you honoring your father and your mother? Or do you sne- secretly sneak around your parents or attempt to do so? Do you joyfully receive your parents' uh, instruction? Or do you say yes outwardly while disobeying it in your heart? Or those of you who have older parents, are you honoring your father and your mother, making sure that they are receiving the care that they need? Or in regard to uh, murder, are you willing to hate people in your heart even if you have not raised a weapon against another person? Are you unwilling to forgive someone because you have um, unforgiven anger in your heart? Or going on to sexual immorality, Maybe you've not stepped out on your spouse. But do you view pornography? Do you view unwholesome movies? Do you dwell on those things that are impure? Or moving on to lying. Are you truthful in the way you live your life? Or do you tell white lies around the edges to make yourself seem better, look better in other people's eyes? And we could go on and on. Are you seeking to live according to the Ten Commandments? Paul says here that you don't have the strength in yourselves to do this on your own. Rather, he talks about sound doctrine that is in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. The only way any of you, the only way I can obey the Ten Commandments is living in accord with the gospel of the glory of our blessed God. The Lord Jesus Christ knew that we could not obey the Ten Commandments. He gave the Ten Commandments to show us how far short we fall. But He also in His glorious death and His resurrection, 
not only forgave us of our sins, but when He rose in glory, He gave us the Holy Spirit to live in our hearts. Outside of Jesus Christ, you are dead in your sin. Outside of Jesus Christ, you are so dead in your sins, you don't even realize that you are dead in your sin. But when the Lord Jesus Christ comes into your life and He awakens you, He des- destroys your old nature and gives you a new nature that loves God. And He empowers that new nature by His Holy Spirit. You still have the flesh. We all still struggle. But you have a power to obey God in your life. So let me ask you, are you by faith relying on the Lord Jesus Christ to live that, that new life in Him, to obey His commandments, to call His law a delight? It's only through the Gospel. It's only through Jesus Christ. Look to Him and He will empower you to obey Him. Not only personally, but also in the, only, in, in the small little kingdom of your family. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we live here where outside the church they want to get rid of the law even inside the church, there are those that teach um, unsound doctrine that seeks to to distort the uh, the law and thereby destroy our walk with you. God, I ask that you would help us to love your law as David loved your law. Help us to delight in it. Help us to see it as pure honey from the honeycomb. Help us to remember that there is great reward in obeying Your law. But help us to also remember at the very same time that we can never, in and of ourselves, in our own strength, obey it. And so help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We ask in His name. Amen.